Hey, everybody. Um, Alana's got our topic for today, and she's going to introduce it for us. What do you think? Sure, absolutely. Welcome back. We are going to be talking about assumptions and when people around us are experiencing trauma and mental health concerns, uh, that not assuming that they, one, don't want to talk about it, or two, that it's somehow taboo and not yeah. and not being there for somebody, um, you know, when they are experiencing that. It is very helpful to talk about it and and not push push it down for people. So people you love are experiencing trauma and mental health issues around you all the time. And so how are you reacting to that? Yeah, and and I, I think one of the things that happens too is that our own experience does an overlay on what's going on with other people. And our assumptions get based on how 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 I looked and how when I was acting like that what was going on with me. So I assume that that's what's going on with them. We see this all the time in my business where some counselors who have experienced addiction, for example, in their lives and have dealt with it, mm -hmm. they look at somebody, one of their clients who has addiction and assume that the correct path for them back to health and wellness is the same one they took. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge barrier to doing the work we do. Yes, absolutely. Well, and you know, one thing doesn't work for everybody. You know, I, I often go back, you know, you have five different people who can have five different perceptions of, of what's going on. I, it's the reason why we have veterans who come back from with PTSD and ones and ones that don't. Right. Well, and that, that we have people with five different problems and they all have the same label. Yes. But there are five different problems, and we forget that. And by labeling them, we sometimes assume that assume that they're all the same thing and have to be dealt with the same thing. Yes, yes. And, you know, one of the things that I teach throughout my coaching program is, you know, I take a bunch of tools, all different tools and techniques throughout. They learn a whole series because one thing may not work for everybody, right? And And, and one thing doesn't work for me. You know, in my new position as a crisis specialist now, you know, I am finding it even more important to use these tools mm. you know, and, and be proactive before, right? Like now, as soon as we, we get a call, I go into a deep breathing exercise, right? So I'm keeping my nervous system at bay so that when I'm on the call that I don't get triggered, right? And, and. I don't know how I got into this from where we started, but you know, it's just something that that happens when we're going through things. Remind me where where we were making going. assumption, making assumptions. But I I think the way you got triggered into that was uh, assuming that other people on your team would uh, would de deals with that kind of anxiety or with those triggers, those potential triggers, in the same way. And, there, and you started with what the rule that we call equifinality, all roads lead to Rome, but there's there's 50 different ways to to deal with an issue. And I can't assume that the best way is my way and then lay that on you, have an expectation that if you're not doing it the way I do it or did it or way one of my family members do it or did it, that somehow it's not getting done. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that I, I can't think of anything more disrespectful. 
Well, yeah, and and yeah, to assume that somebody else has, you know, the same coping mechanisms or coping tools that you do, or they're going to handle it in the way that you do, um, you know, is is the only is the only way. And I think the same is true for, you know, when you're when you are when you've got a goal, right? We're we're set on one way that we think that it's going to work. Yet there can be 50 million different ways that it can come to fruition. But we're sometimes we're so stuck on our way we don't see other people's inputs or other ways that it can happen. And I think in general, whether it's trauma, mental health, or just life in general of, you know, your dreams and goals, that talking about it and having more of a conversation and not just assuming you know what's going on yeah. or that a person doesn't want to talk about something. You know, you could very well have a great solution for somebody who's in crisis and you don't even know. Well, you may have a great, great solution for somebody, but you, you're not cognizant of uh, the level of risk that they can tolerate at the moment. I mean, I I, I remember uh, I had this, this woman that I worked with and she was an inspiration to me and, I, and I, her name was Renee and I won't tell you the rest of it, but uh, if she's listening, Renee, thank you very much. But one of the things that she taught me was that I may sit with a client and know that there are four things that they need to do. Four things. They got to do these four things. And I may have some notion about which one of these four things they should start with. But that's not cognizant of the level of risk is associated with each of those. And that I need to be respectful and allow them to choose the least risky of those to start with and let them work their way into it. As opposed to my saying, no, 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 you need to start with number three here because number three is the place to start. Well, maybe they can't do that. Maybe that's a hundred points of risk, whereas maybe they, maybe they could try the, the other one. Uh, an example was um, if you, she would suggest to a family member, you need to reach out to your mother and, and you need to check your assumptions about what's going on with her behavior or with her acting out or whatever. And you need to do that. And, and Renee would say, well, why don't you sit down with her and wait a minute, wait a minute. Or you could call her or you could send her an email or you could send her a note. What level of risk could you do? Sitting down and face to face is obviously the riskiest of but maybe you could start out with a little telephone call or maybe you could start out with a loving note or maybe something that you could frame and make sure that it sounded right before you send it off and manage your risk, risk level and start moving into it. Whereas some people who are healthy and well and are, are used to sitting down and having honest and earnest conversations might not be cognizant or respectful of that, of that need. And I'm sorry, I just I got on a roll there, and and I I'm, I'm sure we, I rambled away from our topic. Well, no, not really. I mean, I think that it was, you know, not really. I know what's best for the other person. Yeah, and yeah. you know, not just assuming that. Yeah. And you know, or even asking, hey, I, you know, you you something seems to be going on. Do you want to talk about it? Right, and because. 
they may not want to talk about it at that instance. However, they may just need somebody to vent to for a couple of minutes. Um, and to or they may uh, just know that there's an open door. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I think that people are afraid, especially when it comes to things with with trauma and mental health. You know, I I often say like real estate, being in real estate really um, you know, like I would walk up to some people and they would I would tell them I'm a real estate agent and they would take five steps back and I'm like, I'm not trying to sell you a house, you know. <laughs> um however, talking about trauma, right? You want to take <laughs> people take 50 steps back. They don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about mental health. But the reality is, is you know, we've got a lot of people, you know, dealing with mental health concerns right now. And, um, you know, even COVID was trauma for us on a, on a different level. That was worldwide trauma and, or global trauma. And, you know, and just to be open and talk to more people, talk about it, you know, let I think, I think people who suffer from mental health crises have experienced, um, some of that whole expectation and assumption thing and it's been punitive for them so they've had people approach them and say well what you should do is just buck it up or or just go and see that psychiatrist or why don't you just take a few days off and cool down or and we have this all this damn advice we give them which is really we're laying expectations on them Mm -hmm. and when they don't do any of those things when any of those things don't seem to work for us for them uh, and then we we make the assumption that they're just being resistant or obstreperous or that they like being where they are or that they don't like us uh and and maybe it's just maybe it's just instead of telling them what they need to do to be better maybe every once in a while we should ask yeah what do you need yep what's yep. the pain what's going on you know, one of the, it, it reminds me of, you know, some of the group homes that we go to and, you know, conversation between our teammates and, um, you know, it's like a lot of times the group home manager just thinks that the child is, you know, functions in their own way and in, in the mm. same way that they do, right? I, and it goes back to the, you know, women wanting hairy, hairy women, you know, <laughs> Um expecting people to, you know, be motivated or open or just do anything the way that you do. And then it's not right. So then you have judgment coming in, but to, to be open that, Hey, you know what? Okay. This isn't working for this specific person. I'll I'll use the group home experience, you know, for the group home manager um, with the kiddos you know, okay, this isn't working for them. So let's talk to them. Let's see what, what's really going on. You know, like one one of the calls, a seven-year-old boy got really angry. And then when we come and we talk to him, you know, he's upset. His three sisters have gotten adopted and he hasn't been adopted. So it's like, mm. well, you know, of course, of course he's feeling all sorts of things. He thinks there's something wrong with him and he's making up all sorts of things because nobody talks to him about it. Right. And so what's he supposed to do with it? Yeah. Well, it's interesting that, and and our, all too often our response is to lay expectations on him. Well, what you should be feeling is what you should do. 
and we don't we do that and there was a friend of mine jerry shulman he he He's uh, been in the business as long as I have, and he does this workshop that he calls 50 Questions. And there was an old TV show called 20 Questions. But he says, now, if you're going to do this work, what you have to do is assume something about yourself. And he said, what you have to assume is that you don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> and what you need to do is ask 50 questions. And when you've asked the 50th question and you really are certain you know what's what where the person's coming from and you're ready to give your first piece of advice, ask five more questions. And he said, what ends up happening is sometimes they'll sit there and think that you just gave them a great piece of advice because in asking them 50 questions, you help them to clarify their direction. And I thought, well, damn, that's wise. Why have I never thought of that? Yeah. Yeah. And that means I don't have to have the answers. It doesn't mean that I have to know which way to go. Uh, and and I found that with, with brand new therapists and counselors and such who would come to do their, their internships with me, that they felt like they needed to know the answers. Mm. When, when I find what's admirable is that you're willing, a professional willingness to ignorance. I don't know. Let's figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And but the layman's uh, get laymen when they hear somebody talking about their trauma or about their pain or about their crisis, feel like they got to fix it, especially men. We have to fix it. You know? Well, that's the men are from Mars. That's the whole men. Gotta there fix you are. Everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Instead of asking 50 questions, we say, wait a minute, stop. Let me get I'll get a hammer and a couple of nails here and this will be all done. Don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> and my wife will say to me, no. No, don't get no hammer. Just sit here and listen to me. <laughs> I don't want you to fix this. I, I, and again, I give you an example. My wife worked at a job that was, uh, I, I love this. There's a comedian who says, why is it so hard to get fired from jobs we hate? And she worked at this really, this, this interesting job. And I won't tell you what it was, but she would come home some days just boiling and and it, she would walk in and her posture and everything, the dog would hide. I'm telling you, it was that kind of day at work. And I, being a man, I figured I've got to fix this. I've got to cool this down. And so I said, okay, honey, no problem. I'll go in and I'll hit him. <laughs> or I'm going to call that guy up right now and tell him to get to, how to get straight. Or why don't I just fix you a drink and dinner and then uh, everything will be okay. Or why don't I just give you a hug and say, tell me about it. And, and I, you know what? I had like nine different choices I could have chosen of responses to her saying that. And you know what? I always chose the wrong one. So instead, I would say, well, honey, I could call him up and beat him up. I could call him up and tell him he's a bad person. I could give you a hug and say, aye, aye. I could listen to everything you have to say and, and hear what's going on. I could just cook you dinner and leave you alone. I could rub your feet. Do any of those seem to be okay? And by the time I got done with the list, she'd say, no, I'm all right now. <laughs> Boy, if I tried to fix it, she and automatically her response would be, well, that's not going to help. Well, she was right. It wasn't going to help. Yeah. I made an assumption about what would fix it for her tonight. When all I had to do was ask her what she needed. Yeah. Do you know how many years I had to be married before I figured that out? 
How many? Never mind. <laughs> it's embarrassing. <laughs> and I'm glad she's not here to tell you. <laughs> well, I hope that there are some, <clears throat> that there are men and women listening who will, you know, take some of our tips and ideas. And I hope there's some men who listen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, take our, our tips and different ways because yeah we don't we don't want men to fix it all the time we just want them to listen to us a lot of the times sometimes and then sometimes that's the other thing sometimes there'll be something broken and linda will be complaining about it and uh so i'll say oh well you want me to fix it no i just want to complain about it oh oh well that's easy i don't have to get the damn hammer <laughs> if only i had asked yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a, a lot, awful lot of self-disclosure there. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> no, I think it's perfect. That's reality, right? And and that's what people, people have to, um, you know, if they want different things in their lives. I, I feel like there's a lot of unhappy people out there. And, you know, we're not taught to communicate and, you know, perhaps even listening to this one podcast, there will be one marriage or relationship that our brother and sister who, who don't stop talking for the rest of their lives because somebody's expectations or assumptions didn't get met. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I know families where that have a black sheep and that black sheep gets ostracized because people think they've tried everything to stay connected in a healthy, functional sort of way. But a whole set of expectations and assumptions got in the way and they felt disappointed so much so that the pain of being connected just was too great. Isn't that sad? Yeah, it is. I am the black sheep in my family. Are you? I am. I am. I never knew that about you. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you had a little inkling. Okay, I, I guessed. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, had, I had a, can I give you an example of what I'm talking about? Yes. I had a family come to me one time and they had a member of their family who was frankly, operating in a way that was going to lead to their untimely death. They're just, they they knew the right things to do. They knew where to go, what to do, how to do it to keep themselves from their death spiral, but they wouldn't, they didn't. And, and the family members were angry and outraged and, and depressed and anxious and just didn't know what to do. And they would, they would yell at the person. They would divorce themselves from the person. They would punish the person. There was just, but that isn't what they wanted. And they, they understood that what they were doing, they were doing out of a sense of love and compassion, and, but it wasn't working. So we tried something. We tried an experiment. I said, what, what do you think is going on? I did the 50 questions. And what it came down to was, they were all suffering this pain because they knew they were, that their loved one was dying. And while they didn't want that to happen, they didn't want to feel disconnected either. Disconnected from each other or from... From each other and from that person. Yeah. 
So what we did was we had a wake with that person. And instead of saying, you need to get yourself straight, bucko, we were able to say, I'm scared. And I'm in pain because I know I'm losing you. I know that you're going away. And I want you to know that this is how much I love you. I'd like to tell you that the individual got well. But I can't. The individual was on a death spiral. But I can tell you that the family members came to me for two or three sessions after the funeral saying that it was that being able to sit down with the person and reconnecting with them, even though it wasn't in the place where they wanted them to be. But saying, I love you, relieved them of a lot of guilt and what ifs and if onlys that they might have had otherwise, just because they managed to stay connected around their real moment. Well, and connected and, and communicating what they really felt. Right. And assuming that they knew what, how to fix the person and having the expectation that the person would do that and assuming that because they weren't doing that, they were somehow being obstreperous or unloving or uncaring or whatever. That wasn't any of that. It was, they were in a death spiral. And there, there's a saying in, in my field that um, there are some unfortunates among us who don't get the message soon enough. And he was one of those folk, but they didn't, they didn't be, he didn't leave this earth with them feeling like there was more they should have done or could have done. Well, and I would think that that would have to be powerful even for the the survivors to, again, be able to communicate that and to, in, instead of you know the person passing and then continuously being in their head oh what if i had done this differently what if i had said this and it made a difference or or the last thing i said to him was mean yes yeah instead of what i said was i love you yeah and i'm going to miss you yeah too often we say that over the grave i know yeah. i know there's so many and wish we had said it earlier yeah and so that's part of our message here is, is. Wow. Yeah. Right. We ended on kind of a downer there, didn't we? Wow. <laughs> what are we going to talk about next time? Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to get that figured out. We'll come up with something great. We always do. Is that right? Okay. All right. Well, let me give it some thought. All right. I know you, I know you will. all right everyone well thanks again for joining us okay and don't forget if you have comments or criticisms or witticisms or you just want to tell us a story um you you have our contact information you do and you can reach us below thank you